Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. So I'm going to invite Celeste up. And uh, many of you may not know Celeste. She's an incredibly talented woman who has written a book that is being read all over Ireland at the moment. None of you knew that. And uh, Celeste was willing to share about her own life and her own story of coming to faith, but also in terms of the suffering and the tragedy that she's experienced and what it meant to walk with God in that. So I'll hand over to you. Well, before I start, I'll tell you a little bit about me. You can tell from my accent that I didn't start in Ireland, but I've been here 35 years, longer than most of you. So (laughs) um, I started in California, and I grew up in California, and my husband and I moved to Denmark for two years, where we worked as Christian workers, and we were kicked out of the country. Literally, by the Justice Department, they deported us because we were Christian workers. And so we decided, well, where do we go now? And uh, we found this cute little travel book, and it had a picture of a caravan and these two little red-headed children with freckles, and the sun was shining, and the grass was green, and we said, let's go to Ireland. So in 1981, we moved to Ireland with two children, and now we have four children. They're all grown. They're from ages 28 to 40, and um, with those four children, we also have six beautiful grandchildren, one of whom is in heaven, and that's one of my suffering tragedies. We lost our little granddaughter a couple of years ago, but I'll I'll maybe come back to that. We also have one grandchild on the way. Any of you who know Olivia and Anthony, you know that we're expecting a a new little grandchild in 11 weeks' time. So we're looking forward to that. Um, My background is that I became a Christian as a young girl. I was in in a family that went to church, but my parents were not Christians. And I was offered an opportunity to go to a summer camp when I was just a young girl. And my parents said I could go if I earned the money myself. So I did Baba jobs all along the neighborhood and earned enough money to go to this camp. And when I was at this camp, I heard about Jesus becoming a real person in my life for the very first time. And even though I had been to church and my parents were churchgoers, I had never heard of this personal friend of Jesus. And as a young girl, I knew that that was something that I wanted in my life. And I was also aware of the deep, dark sin that I had as a young nine-year-old child. Not a whole lot, but I still knew. I knew that I was separated from God, and so I trusted Christ as a young child. And my parents and my brother became Christians soon after that, so I was raised in a Christian family all through my teenage years. Moving way ahead to Ireland, um, we had two children when we arrived here, and our third son was born in 1984, Is that right? Yeah, 1984. And he was a delightful little, our third son, delightful little fella, full of mischief, lots and lots of beans in him. And we noticed when he was about 18 months old that he declined in health. He stopped growing. His little hands, the bones in his hands stopped growing. His body stopped growing. He was very, very sick all the time. And we took him to lots and lots of doctors. He was in many hospitals. Um, Finally, the the 
advice that was given to us was because we were American citizens, they felt that we should take him to a specialist hospital in America, and we did that. We, we flew back to America. Um, at that hospital, we went through lots and lots of tests and treatments, and to make a very long story short, they basically said, take your baby home to die. And there's nothing we can find wrong with him. We don't know why this is happening, but there's nothing we can do. I will also say that during that time, I went through um, questioning as to whether or not I was making him sick, like the social workers became involved to find out if I was actually causing this problem, but I was cleared. Anyway, we took him home, and I looked at my husband, and I said, I just can't give up on, this, on my baby. You know, I just can't wait for him to die. So we took him to our GP who had seen him many, many times. Our GP referred him on to someone else and someone else and someone else and someone else. To make a very long story short, this little 18-month-old is now 33, 34 years old, 6 foot 2. He did grow again. We, we went through lots of things when we came back to Ireland to help his body begin to, um, to heal. And he did. But that was a real test of my faith when it was my child. A few years later, we had our fourth child, Olivia, our only daughter. And I noticed when, I, when she was about, when I was pregnant with her, I noticed that I had a freckle on my cheek. <clears throat> and this freckle just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I thought, oh, hormones, you know, I was pregnant. And then after she was born, several months later, I noticed this freckle got bigger and bigger and it changed color. And I went to the doctor. They biopsied this freckle and told me that I had a malignant melanoma and that I would have to have radical surgery to remove it. Now, this was almost 30 years ago, so the treatment for melanoma is different now than it was then, but they were basically saying, we have to just remove your cheek and take a patch from your hip and put it on your cheek and make you all better. <clears throat> and again... Um, my Irish consultant said to me, because you're American citizens, we can take care of the cancer here. We can get rid of it. But the reconstructive surgery would be far, far better if you went to America. So we made a couple of phone calls. Um, we found a surgeon at UCLA Medical Center that would do the surgery. And he took me within a couple of days. We flew over. He took me in. He removed the cancer by literally removing my cheek. And then he, he stepped aside in the operating theater and a reconstructive surgeon moved in. And he reconstructed my cheek by moving my neck from the back of my neck all the way up and attaching it. So this is really my neck. <laughs> and if I'd known that my neck was going to be on my face, I would have taken a lot better care of my neck than many years ago. <laughs> anyway... Um, one of the remarkable things that happened during that time, I never thought I was going to die. I, even though it was a malignant melanoma, I never thought I was going to die. But I did think I would look so different. And I was only in my 20s. 30, 30, I was 30, 35, almost 35. I was still very young and, and, and vain. And, you know, and it, was a, it was a really big, horrific surgery. It took months and months to heal. The surgeon at UCLA, when I first met him, he said, how did you get an appointment with me? He said, I do celebrities. 
like it was at the John Wayne Cancer Clinic at UCLA. He said, I do the John Waynes. And I said, well, you know, made a few phone calls. You had this opening, took advantage of it. And he said, it just doesn't make sense. People wait for a year to see me. And he asked about me. He asked about my life in Ireland. He asked what we were doing in Ireland. And he said, that's so interesting. I can't, I've never met anyone like this before that would give up their life in America to move to Ireland to be Christian workers. And he wasn't professing to be a Christian at all. But he did say to me, just to let me know, he said, I won't be charging you for any of my services. And this was all private. And I was really taken back by that. And he said, but, he said, you're not to say anything to the reconstructive surgeon because that's his own business. You know, but as far as I'm concerned, I won't be charging you. So I thanked him very, very much because we're talking tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars. And my reconstructive surgeon, when he was taking out the stitches after my surgery, he said to me, the same type of thing, you know, what is your life in Ireland all about? How did you get to America and all that? And I told him the same answer. And he said, that's fascinating. He said, look, he said, just out of, you know, uh, goodness of my heart, he says, I won't be charging you at all for my services. And he was a reconstructive surgeon in Beverly Hills. So his, his fee was huge as well. So I walked out of that one pretty good. Um, a few years went by, and in Ireland, I came back to Ireland. I went back to college. I did a master's degree at UCD and my Ph.D. in UC Galway. And after I got my Ph.D., um, which involved living in Mountjoy Women's Prison for one year, that's another story. And it's not about suffering, but that's another story altogether, living in the prison. I... Um, I took a post in one of the local colleges here in Dublin and began lecturing and became head of department. Like Steve was saying, I wrote textbooks, which are still being read and used in the classroom. And I had um, a, a medical condition that I went to the hospital for, and they cleared me. And on the day that I was leaving the hospital... They said, just before you leave, we need to take your temperature and your blood pressure and all of that before you exit. And so they did, and I had ever so slight of a fever. And the doctor said, I don't feel comfortable letting you go with the fever. He says, you need to stay in for a few tests. And one of those tests was an, a lung x-ray. And so I drank this horrible liquid, as I recall. I went down, had x-rays and a couple of other tests done. And I came back to my room, and I sat there for a few hours, and the consultant came in, and he said, I don't know how to tell you this, but we've just found a huge, huge mass in your, on your lung. And I said, I'm not even here for my lung. You know, this has nothing to do with why I'm here. What are you telling me? That's got to be wrong. And he said, no. He says, you're a smart lady, and I'm not going to kid around here. He says, this is very serious. So I was a little taken back. At that stage, I had four young children, and I had this mass on my lung. I went through a PET scan to determine whether it was cancer or not. Or I think, I think that's... I had, a bi, I had two biopsies and a PET scan. And I, was then, I went into another consultant, an oncologist, and he said to me, 
And to my husband, he said, Celesta, this is very bad news. This is a malignant tumor on your lung, and you have about a 2% chance of survival. He said, you're not going to live, but a very few months. And at that stage, I remember thinking, all these years I have put my faith in God. All these years I've trusted Christ as my Savior, and I've trusted them to look after me. And here I am with four little children, and I've just been given a death sentence. And I don't know if I'm ready for that. Todd said to the doctor, 2% is good enough for me. He says, I'll be praying for that 2%. The doctor shook his head. He said, there's really no hope at all. He says, but, he says, you'll get a few months of life if we go in and remove the tumor. That'll give you a little bit of extra time to get your affairs in order. So I went into Beaumont Hospital and... They went through my back to remove the tumor. They had to do all kinds of shifting and changing of my internal organs. They got to the tumor. They removed it. And also they told me they were going to take half of my lung because the tumor was on the lung. And um, I went, I recovered. I mean, I re- yeah, I, I woke up. I was in recovery. And I was taken back to my room. And I was in my room for several days before I saw my consultant again. Well, he had come in just right after the surgery to say everything went as expected. But then he came in a few days later, and he sat on the end of my bed, and he said, I can't explain this. He said, we took the tumor out. We sent it to three labs, two in Ireland and one abroad, because we couldn't believe what the results were telling us. The results have shown conclusively that your tumor is benign. And Todd said to the doctor, he said, you know, at the wedding feast, Jesus turned water into wine, and today he's turned malignant to benign. And the doctor just kind of shook his head, yeah, yeah, one of those, you know. He said, we can't explain this. And Todd said, I can explain it. People all over the world have been praying. I have to say that I was probably during that time, not thinking realistically that I was going to die. I knew that that was academically what they were telling me. But the whole time I was thinking, God is my rock. He's my refuge. He's my shelter. This is what I've always believed. Do I really believe it now? Do I really believe it? And I was faced with deciding Is this the truth, or is it all a fantasy? And I knew right then and there whether God healed me or not. I really didn't think he was going to heal me. Todd did. He totally believed I was going to be healed. But I really didn't think so. I thought I would be leaving my husband and my four children, and that I was going to die. But it didn't matter, because I had a rock and a refuge, and I had shelter, and that was good enough. And I think probably one of the lessons that I learned that I live with to this day, because there's more suffering in my life. I'm not 100% healthy. I I do still continue to suffer with health. But this is one thing I have learned. The Bible tells us that when we become a Christian, the Holy Spirit indwells us. And I decided 
if this body is good enough for the Holy Spirit, it's good enough for me. And I praise God because he is faithful in everything.